Welcome back to our series on Plato's Republic. Uh, in this episode, we will be finishing up book five, the uh, second half of book five. And uh, I want to begin by reminding you all of how book five began. So if you remember, uh, there is this um, specification uh, in, in detail, more detailed description of how it is that the many share uh, everything in common so that they um, generate or constitute a single life, uh, which, which is the, the polis, the, 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 one, the one soul of, of the many um, individuals all ordered towards a single good. And Socrates begins by pointing out um, 450C, uh, right? The, the Stephanus number 450C. He says, uh, It is not easy to explain, my happy fellow. It raises even more doubts than the topics we have discussed so far. So what's not easy to explain? Namely, uh, the, the details of how uh, everything is shared in common. Uh, one might, and this is, this is the, 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 the caution that he he, he, he lays out on the table before giving the details because he is pretty clear that, or it's pretty clear to him that what's going to happen is we're going to misinterpret the, the, the purpose of this um, description. So the purpose of this description uh, might not be that this is something that can be literally instituted in an actual society. But it's going to provide a model, as we'll see here in a bit, which allows us to better understand our our own situation and our own failures. So we're gonna we're gonna get to that. But I want to finish this passage because it it frames, I think, the the whole chapter so that we don't just throw the book away and say, "Oh, this is stupid. This is completely impractical. There's no way this could ever be a real way that a state could be run." Plato's dumb. There's no need to read the Republic. Um, so I want to I want to try to ward that off or, or keep that worry at bay. Um, so here's what uh, here's here's what the passage um, says. Uh, One might in fact doubt whether what we proposed is possible, and even if one granted that it is entirely so, one might still have doubts about whether it would be for the best. That, then, is why I was somewhat hesitant to bring it up. I was afraid, my dear comrade, that our argument might seem to be no more than wishful thinking. So Socrates is worried that a detailed description uh, might ultimately lead the listener or the reader uh, to conclude um, this is just so impractical, it, it's, it's not worth thinking about. Um, and so this brings us to the second half of book five, uh, very bottom of page 164 of the Reeve translation. This is 472b uh, to sort of summarize and then also to return to that original um, major thematic of book five, namely, how is it that the many share everything in common so as to uh, constitute a single life? Socrates says this. The first thing to recall, then, is that it was our inquiry into the nature of justice and injustice that brought us up to this point. 
And then Socrates goes on. He says, um, however, if we discover the nature of justice, should we also expect the just man not to differ from justice itself in any way, but on the contrary, to have entirely the same nature it does? Or will we be satisfied if he approximates as closely as possible to it and partakes in it far more than anyone else? And then Glaucon says, yeah, we'll be satisfied <clears throat> with that. Um, so, so the idea, once again, re reminding us, the reader, of this, this, um, this major theme of justice in the city and justice in the individual man are... Um, are like um, analogs of each other, or you know, the, they're exemplifications of the same thing, but in different in different uh, domains or within different contexts. And so they're going to approximate each other um, and 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 find their exemplification um, mirroring each other. Uh, Socrates then goes on to say, so it was in order to have a model that we were inquiring into the nature of justice itself and of the completely just man, supposing he could exist and what he would be like if he did. And similarly, within justice and the most unjust man, we thought that by seeing how they seemed to us to stand with regard to happiness and its opposite, we would also be compelled to agree about ourselves as well. That the one who was most like them would have a fate most like theirs. But we were not but we were not doing this in order to demonstrate that it is possible for these men to exist. A very important passage of the Republic for the um, for the argument for the dialectic uh, that is how to how to understand how to read this part of the, the Republic. What you get is you get this this, this description uh, of what's happening with this this conversation, uh, a summary of the, the the method of of this this dialogue, namely seek after the a model uh, of of justice, both uh, in the state, um, giving rise to a, a just polis, and thereby also shedding light on uh, the model for a just individual uh, life both generating um, happiness, uh, um, you know, a flourishing life, whether communal or individual. And uh, the, 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 the purpose of this wasn't so much uh, as to, to say whether this model could, with 100% accuracy, become enfleshed in an actual state or an actual person, but it was to allow us to come to an understanding or an evaluation of ourselves um, so that we can better understand our own um, deficiencies. So, so the way that we come to understand our deficiencies is partly through understanding the distance that we have towards the ideal. Um, when you think about a, like a, what a model is, is it's, it's like the perfect plan and then you you the, the function or the, the the use or the purpose of that plan is in trying to um, make something as like that as as possible. So you could have you know a, a, a model of a of a um, a building, 
And the reason you have that is it, it gives you something to sort of hold up your, your um, whatever you create. Um, and then you can hold it up to that and evaluate it in light of, of that model. Um, provided the model is, is a perfect model or an ideal model, uh, that's going to then give you better grounds, better footing for um, a good evaluation or a good understanding of your own situation as either just or unjust, good or not good, or, or what have you. And so the, the, um, the point, once again, is to, 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 to arrive at uh, an understanding of this model of justice so that we can understand ourselves and how far we are or how close we are to the ideal. Okay, so that's um, that's the whole point, and which is why ethics and politics is ultimately rooted in um, a practical uh, endeavor. It's, it is a practical endeavor because it ultimately um, is not just pure theory. It it's it's coming to a knowledge of this uh, model. In this case, the model of justice, um, but that then gives life to our own activity, um, so that we can you know, better orient ourselves, make ourselves more just or better align ourselves um, with that model so that we can be more just, um, right? So, so it, it's rooted in this practical um, uh, um, endeavor uh, that, that, that is just what it means to be an agent, um, to, ha to have a norm uh, is always to, or like a, a rule, um, is to to always hold what you're doing up against what you ought to be doing, or what you should be doing, or what would be ideal to do, and that's how we that's how we make our way through the world. Um, we call this um, giving reasons or thinking about the reasons for action. So we evaluate our actions, our deliberations. Uh, should we go to college? Should we not go to college? Should we go to this college? Should we major in this field? You're always trying to think about the reasons for that, which is ultimately um, an attempt to come to uh, a, a, a better um, ordering of your life in, uh, in conformity with the ideal life um, even if the ideal life is sort of so broad that it it, it is not something that's um, anything you've ever encountered directly, you can still, um, not just can, but you almost have to think that there is something like an ideal if you're, if you're going to be capable of making evaluations. <coughs> so that's, that is, I think, a... Um, a purpose or the function of, of this this book it's to, to try to begin to order um, or begin to redirect our attention to this need for these models which are ultimately as we're going to see down the road um, is what is known as the platonic forms these models um, that we we come to know or we we try to come to know um, and the more we come to know them, uh, the more we'll be able to make sense out of our lives uh, as falling short of those ideals.
um, which is which is thereby making um, it possible for us to um, become more united with it, right? So this is why um, Socrates um, goes on to um, describe the 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 one thing that's needed uh, in order for this this just society, this just polis. Um, to, to, to get off the ground, one of the things that has to be the case if you're ever going to have a just um, politics is you have to have, as he puts it, um, let's see, this is 473D. One of the things that needs to happen and, and perhaps the most important thing that needs to, to, to come about is that the, uh, the kings, the rulers of the the state need to be philosophers and if you don't understand what it is to be a philosopher this is going to sound really um stupid uh and in the in the modern sense or the the the, the normal sense of what we think of a philosopher to be someone who holds an academic position in a philosophy department uh this would probably be the worst advice you could ever uh, uh give when founding a um uh, a, a city or a state, a just state, um, to put you know academic um, philosophers uh, and institutions uh, like 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 myself as rulers. Um, a philosopher in Plato's sense is uh, we've kind of alluded to it in the very first episode of this um, the series on the Republic, but here you get a more um, detailed discussion of a philosopher, and the philosopher is someone who is uh, described as a lover of um, wisdom. But ultimately, as, it, as, as it's put in, in a little more detail on page 169, 475e, uh, that the philosopher um, is the lover of seeing the truth, the one that loves seeing the truth. And they're, they're likened to the lover of sounds and the lover of tastes and the lover of uh, sights. But what the philosopher is ultimately is someone that's like that, uh, but their love isn't limited to a particular, um, one particular domain. So you can think of the person who loves who loves music they just can't get enough music they're always just wanting to listen to more and that's because it just it just fulfills them so much it's it's there's a whole world of music and they just want to they want to just become immersed in that um and they they almost feel like music leads them uh leads leads them on it's sort of like guiding their life uh in a way um the, the same thing with the person of, of sights. Socrates, had, there's this point in the dialogue where you get um, the person who um, has this desire to see is like a, like a philosopher. So when you, when you um, it's kind of like almost like a curiosity in a way, but it, it's, it's you just want to know um, what's before you. you. You just take enjoyment in knowing what is, what is uh, around the corner. Um, and, and what Socrates does here is he says, beauty 
is the object of love. But when it comes to sight lovers and sound lovers and taste lovers, um, they don't love beauty itself. They love particular exemplifications of beauty. The sight lover loves visual or, or visible beauty. Uh, the, um, the sound lover loves auditory or audible beauty, uh, music, right? Um, the taste lover um, loves beauty that, 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 you know, is tasteable. Uh, it, 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 it's something that can speak through that sense. Uh, whereas what the philosopher is, is someone who doesn't just love beauty under this, uh, um, description or under this domain or loves beauty only within this context, but it's the person who loves beauty as such. So um, one way to, to maybe think of it is there's there's this um, there's this thing. It's kind of I don't know if you really want to call it a thing, but um, that's that's known as beauty, which manifests itself through or in um, different mediums, uh, different different um, uh, uh, we'll just say mediums. Uh, music, um, art, you know, more, more, more generally, you can talk about the different types of art, but those are the different mediums by which beauty presents itself or reveals itself. But the philosopher um, is enamored not with any one of those, uh, but with the, the, um, the beauty that, that lies before any of the particular manifestations um, of it. It's, it's almost like, here's an analogy that may, may be helpful, even though it might be a little misleading. Um, you might, you might love your friend because of the particular actions that they do. Oh, you know, they, they come over and they, they help me cut, cut my grass and they help me change my oil and they, um, always bring, you know, beer to the party. And, you know, these are, great friends to have um, and 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 in a sense those are exemplifications or manifestations or revelations of friendship that's how friendship is communicated or revealed or made known um, but to to love a friend isn't to love them only because they bring beer to the party or only because they help you uh, change the oil on your car. Um, rather, there is something which which lies before. No, it's not. It's not like in in contrast to any of those any of those other manifestations um, in action. But it, there's something that lies before um, any activity that your friend does that friendship is really about. Like, so the true friend is one who. Seeks to love the friend um, as such, and not merely because of the actions. And now this is—I mean, we have a—we have a fairly common term for this, which is um, un unconditional love, something like that, where you you recognize that the 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 love of this person isn't based on any conditions, and so it it it's a love that that goes before. Um, 
any any conditions uh, need to be made or set or or done. Right. That is, um, it's this attempt to love what lies at the root of those actions and not merely those actions themselves. And that's similar to what's happening here with the philosopher. It's the person who loves truth itself or beauty itself or justice itself prior to any particular manifestation of it. Um, so you could think of, you might know people like this. Maybe you're one of these, these sorts of people who, who loves learning. Uh, learning what? It doesn't matter, right? The, the, this person is the person who's just so enthralled or enamored with truth, with, with knowledge, that it doesn't matter whether they're learning about the migration patterns of uh, um, red-winged blackbirds or whether they're you know, learning about the different <clears throat> types of fungus that grow in Kansas um, uh, or you know, the number of uh, gallons of gas that are you know, consumed by certain types of vehicles. Uh, you pick whatever crazy little, little thing you want. Um, there are people that just can get interested in anything and everything. Um, and what lies at the heart of that character or that disposition is they're a lover of truth as such. They're a lover of wisdom as such, not any particular um, area. It's not like, oh, I just love learning things about cars, but everything else I'm, I'm completely uninterested in. I don't have any time or patience for that. Um, that would not be a philosophical spirit, even though they they have a, a they have a taste of what it is to be a philosopher, because they do love truth, but because it's limited like that, it's not the real philosophical spirit in the way that Socrates describes it here uh, at the end of Book Five. Um, and so, what you have to have is someone who loves justice as such, um, or justice itself, as it's usually referred to in Platonic, uh, Platonic dialogues. Um, it's that type of person, that type of uh, um, lover that, that needs to be the rulers of cities because of the fact that they're going to be seeking um, to be as um, united or as in conformity or uniformity with um, justice the perfection of justice, this model that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, right? They're going to have a clear vision of that, or at least that's what they want. They want a clear vision of the model as such, not any particular manifestation uh, of of a of a city, um, but that model, right? And so, what 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 is happening in in uh, this book is. Th- you're getting the introduction of the philosopher as the ruler or as the king. And now that, once again, means someone who loves um, the form of, of, of uh, truth. Not particular truth, but the form of truth. Someone who loves justice as, as the model, not any particular brand of, of, of justice, but the 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 um the universal um because it's it's then that that individual is able to look at any particular situation uh 
and come to an understanding of how to best order that situation so as to make it like that ideal. Okay, so that's um, that's the way it's described. And and he puts this, he, uh, um, Socrates puts this, states this, as love is always true, true love, now this sounds like um, Princess Bride, but true love is always uh, of the whole. It's always... Um, something that you know you can recognize the parts but it's always of the uh, the whole this is on page 167 uh, as well 474 c um right before d socrates says uh do i have to remind you or do you recall that when we say someone loves something if the description is correct it must be clear not just that he loves some part of it but not another but on the contrary that he cherishes the whole of it. Uh, so, so the philosopher, namely this individual who loves something, namely loves wisdom or loves truth, loves the whole of it. And so they're the person who's going to be looking at all these particular situations, these particular things, and <clears throat> be seeing all of these particular things as partaking in or participating in or being an image of something, something else. Um, and it's that other thing that they um, that they love, just as uh, when you give a going to another example with friendship, because I think I want to transition to this other idea at the end of book five. When you give a friend um, a gift that they cherish or they love, um, like a book, so you give them a book or, or a, a bouquet of flowers <clears throat> or something like that, and they come to cherish that it's not so much like what gives that gift value there's something about it, it it having value because it's just maybe a good book maybe uh it's there's just beautiful flowers um the you know uh the the the, the physical um nature of of these flowers is just such that um they're beautiful the the symmetry the color everything is um you know, just just amazing. Um, but there's something that 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 transcends those aspects of it, which gives it a completely different type of value. Um, it's because all of those things, the the flowers, the uh, the book, it's a it's an icon or reminder or a physical manifestation of friendship or of love so that whenever you see the bouquet you don't just think of flowers you think of your friend whenever you see a book you don't just think of the book you think of your friend who gave it to you um, this is this is the notion of a um, a sacramental uh, something that um, is um, it, it directs you beyond it so a wedding ring it's not just a, a piece of jewelry because the, the, the significance or the meaning of the wedding ring um, is, it's like this is a physical manifestation in a, in a very you know, minuscule way, but a physical manifestation of this you know, love of this individual uh, and, and, and you know, your unity with, with them. And so this, this physical, silly you know, little piece of metal is capable of being an icon or an image of something 
beyond itself. And it's the, it's the, the one who can see and appreciate the value of a wedding ring in that way is someone who's philosophical, who's, who, who can love the whole, not just look at the metal and say, oh, the metal's really pretty. That would be someone who loves only part of what's here. The one that loves the whole of what's there, the whole of the wedding ring, um, is the one who, who sees it for more than just metal and it actually communicates um, something beyond metal. Namely, it communicates um, love or communicates unity with your spouse or something like that. Um, and so it takes a, a philosopher, someone who can move beyond just seeing little parts of things to seeing this whole that might transcend the parts um, in order to um, best understand how the parts are related with each other so that there is this transcendent whole, um, uh, you know, generated by them. Okay, and so, um, I mean, this is getting sort of heavy, uh, sort of weighty. Uh, try to uh, press through, press on through. If if you need to sort of slow down, pause, and reflect on this as we as we keep going, please do that. Don't hesitate. Um, <clears throat> okay, but I wanna I wanna continue this theme, and uh, this will bring us towards the. Uh, the very end, where you get a description of the relation or a discussion, better, better, better yet, between uh, knowledge and ignorance, and something that lies between them, uh, and the way that the way that I that I understand this part of the dialogue is that um, there's 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 two two things that are going on. There's, there's the, the, the world or the domain of um, things that exist, right? So um, you can talk about um, some things are, and then on the other hand, you got the complete opposite, which is some things are not, um, which is nothing. And now what's really paradoxical about this, when you stop to think about it, is... Um, there isn't anything that is nothing, um, because if it was nothing, then it wouldn't be anything, right? Uh, so, so there's there's already right off the bat there's this paradox that's that's um, underway. Um, okay, so but I don't want to I don't want to get into that too 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 quickly. Um, okay, so what you have think about this is you have um, uh, the the models that we were that we were talking about earlier, right? These these forms, justice itself, truth itself. Um, these these are the um, the universal models, the ideals, um, uh, and they don't they don't change. There are th things that change, either resemble those models more or less, right? There there are some things that can be more um, just. There are people that can be more just than other people, um, but the the model itself doesn't doesn't change. Um, think about it in terms of something. I mean, this is just an analogy, but like um, you have a piece of music uh, that's that's written on on um, paper, right? Like sheet music, and you could you could throw all the dynamics in there and you know play it this way and at this tempo and and what have you, and um, there, you know, could be five people that can all play that song, but some people play it 
better than other people do. And what that means is some of those performances of that piece are more, uh, maybe not more, but they're closer to the ideal piece of music uh, on the page than others. Um, my, my, my kids are learning the, the violin. One of the first songs that you learn on the violin is the Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And um, some of my kids play that song more like how it should be than others. But even though, even though you know, some of my children aren't that good at, at, at playing it initially, they're still playing the song. It's just there's a lot of defects. There's a lot of deviation from, from how it ought to be. Um, as they progress, their performance of that song gets better and better. It gets closer and closer to the ideal. So there's a type of change going on, but it's not a change in the ideal, right? The ideal you know, version of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, that doesn't change. That's always going to be fixed you know, in, in uh, music um, uh, uh, history, sort of here's how this song ought to be played. Uh, and there might be different you know, variations of it. Um, but there, there, at the very least, there seem to be some that are further from that than, than, than others. Okay. So that's what, that's what I have in mind. There's the, the, there's things that don't change these models, these ideals. Um, and that, uh, is what Socrates talks about as the object of knowledge. So knowledge is an attempt to come to, uh, See, once this is once again, we're going to continue using the 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 um, um, the metaphor of seeing. Uh, knowledge is coming to see that that perfect model um, as it is, right? You come to see. You're not, so to speak, list. You don't have to be listening to any particular version of this song, but you come to to have an appreciation and understanding for how the song ought to be played. Now maybe that comes through having to listen to various, you know, versions of of the song, um, but the, the what knowledge is for Socrates is it's an understanding of what makes this the ideal song, what makes this the the form, uh, the model. Okay, so that would be um, knowledge is if you if you have that type of understanding of the of the model, uh, ignorance. Uh, the way he's using it here would just be the complete failure to have any grasp of of the model. You're completely blind, put it that way. Um, using the image of of sight, right? The um, the one who's just perfectly blind has no no grasp of what um, you know the the the, the visual model um, is. Um, the person who's deaf has no comprehension uh, of what "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" ought to sound like because they're just entirely deaf. They don't they don't know what that song ought to be. They're just completely out of the loop in regards to what that model, what that perfect form is. And so, ignorance is something like blindness um, or deafness for for Plato. Um, and uh, what what he what he says though is most of what happens for humans for us 
is not knowledge and it's not ignorance because we all know that we don't fully get how everything ought to be but also we're not completely out of the loop right we're, we're there are these extremes you know the uh, grasp of the, the perfect condition of the perfect state uh, on the one hand and complete you know ignorance uh, on the other and he says that's not typically where we operate where we live that's not the world that we inhabit we inhabit a world which is which is as he puts it an in-between state um, we inhabit a world which is sort of a meshing of of perfection and non-perfection of being and not being and, and i'll give you some examples of this here in a bit but the um uh the the, the i think the image of of thinking of knowledge as one extreme and perfect ignorance as the other and then belief uh as the reeve puts it in this trend this um, translation um, belief is this in-between state which is the um the the type of um the type of understanding if you wanted to call it that about the things that can change right so you you encounter you see things that are good um but they're also not perfectly good and therefore they're not they're good and not good at the same time in a in a paradoxical way right so you taste something and it tastes really good um but it also strikes you that it's not it's not perfect maybe it's like the best thing you've ever tasted but you still i don't know perhaps know that it's not it's not perfection itself right that's maybe the way to put it um there are you experience many good things in this world but you also at the same time in experiencing them you realize they're not goodness itself because they they're fleeting they're passing they they come and they go they're they're in this world of as plato puts it a uh, little later in the dialogue uh they're they're in the world of becoming and so they're not they're not perfect um even though they have a share in perfection um so they're kind of this this um conglomeration of these opposites uh of of being and not being um be, uh, beauty and um ugliness he, he uses that example um and i think that is something that uh we're very familiar with uh even if we haven't reflected on it so think about your own life you're not you know perfect but you're also not entirely evil you're not like the incarnation of 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 evil itself um and you have understanding you have knowledge but you are also fallible and you know that you're not um, all-knowing uh, so you're kind of finding yourself living in this like in between as he as he calls it um and i think the way that he wants us to think about this in between state is is it's like a um um it's a type of motion or a type of movement or, or, or directionality. It's like a sign. Um, in theological terms, we would call it a sacrament, going back to this image that we, we said earlier, which is why I think the philosopher for Plato is the one who can understand the world that they live in because they can see that the world they live in is this mix of um, uh, these extremes, and therefore it, 
it sort of pushes you towards the model, which is the ideal. Um, okay, so the, the, the world you live in, uh, the world I live in, uh, is, is one in which we find ourselves um, uh, the same and different. Uh, I, I'm the same person as I, as I was yesterday and the day before and the day before and the same person as I was when I was two years old. But I'm also a very different person. Um, my, my actions um, reflect this difference. My habits maybe have changed. Um, my, my thoughts, my views... Uh, my goals, all subject to change. Um, so I think this is this is something that that we just can't avoid, uh, namely this recognition that we live a life which is subject to change, namely a life which is um, capable of moving. Um, life, another way of putting it, is a type of movement, either towards something or away from something. And uh, I think what Plato's attempting to do in the um, the Republic is he's trying to show that the philosopher is the one who can look at the world, see that it's a sign of something, and therefore it ought to be moving towards something, and that they're the ones that love or desire to know or desire to see what this life is moving towards, even though they might not have full knowledge of it, right? So the philosopher doesn't have to have knowledge. The philosopher is the person who wants to have knowledge, the person who wants to, 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 to know that, right? And so the, um, um, the, the, the wise person or the philosophical person is the person who can see um, the, the world that they live in as ordered towards something beyond it, and therefore the world becomes an icon or an image. Uh, this is going to be very significant, very, very significant when we get to uh, book seven, uh, which is the famous allegory of the cave, uh, where you get this allegory of um, this cave with shadows, and then outside the cave is the, 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 the world of the sun and the real things. And uh, to properly understand that allegory, you really need to understand uh, this this idea that the philosopher is the one who can see the world uh, as um, what it is or for what it is, which is um, they they can recognize it as in between, and therefore it it it's it's not really like a resting place. It's the, this is a world of movement. This is a world of change, and therefore it's a world that that. Um, is meant to, to, to push us, to pull us, to, to, to unsettle us. So the world uh, that we live in uh, is, a, is a world that's kind of intended to be unsettling. Um, you're not supposed to feel at rest or uh, comfortable in a, in a sense. Um, doesn't mean it's you know, intended to make you um, unhappy, but just as when you, when you, um, you know, God willing, get married, have children, you realize, but you're going to die at some point. You're going to, you're, this is going to, this is going to come to an end for you at some point. This, this, you know, this world of, of living this, this life, doing this job, uh, you know, living in the same house with these people. There's something wonderful, beautiful about this, but at the same time you realize, but it's fleeting, it's passing. Um, and so there's a type of uns, uh, unsettling, 
uh, there's an unsettling feeling, uh, at least that I have, when I reflect on my life within uh, this world of becoming. Uh, and it makes me want to reflect on what is the meaning of it, um, you know, being in motion. What is the meaning of life being, uh, you know, uh, um, unstable and, and being in between, right? So that, that I think is worth thinking about because ultimately, unless you really feel um, that paradox, the paradox between um, or the paradox of being and not being, um, the paradox of our own lives, our own existence as being um, in this middle, middle ground. Um, this is also uh, at, at the heart of, of the, um, the Christian understanding of creation uh, out of nothing um, in, in kind of classic metaphysical terms, you get the, you get the, the, all these distinctions of essence and an essay or, or essence and existence and um, act and potency, which are something like this, this divide, this in-between uh, of these two, two um, extremes, these two, these two limits coming together to give rise to um, our very existence as sharing and partaking in uh, the unchangeable, you know, being of God, but at the same time coming out of nothing. Um, so there's part of us which shares in God, and there's another part of us which is just not God. Uh, but what's 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 the the contrary? What's the opposite of 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 God, who who's who's being? It seems to be not being. And so you have this this tension. It seems um, with the doctrine of um, creation ex nihilo. Not that it means it's false. It just means that the meaning of it. Um, is that it, it kind of gives rise or it reveals that that we live in an in-between state. Um, and this is, I think, a, a, a point that uh, the philosopher William Desmond has reflected on uh, at great length. Um, <coughs> highly recommend a lot of his work, especially um, Being and the Between, uh, which, which is a reflection of various aspects of this phenomenon. Um, okay, and so uh, I want to... Um, just sort of end with it with this uh, this th th just this this challenge uh, to, to, to reflect on what's the significance of coming to realize that we are unsettled that we that we don't know um, right it's a paradoxical thing to come to know come to realize come to be aware of the fact that you don't know to come to, to realize that you um, aren't sure um, you come to, to, to recognize that you're not perfect, you're not just. Um, but at the same time, that itself is a, is a gift, it's a grace, it's a, it's a type of um, wisdom, type of truth, uh, right? And so, so that very recognition of weakness is itself a, a sharing in um, goodness, a sharing in strength. And so this is... Uh, this is the, 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 the beauty, I think, of, of the philosopher. It's the one who can, who can recognize this and kind of just grapple, grapple with this, this tension back and forth. And um, it's not just a meaningless tension, but it's, it's one that, that ultimately is, is a longing, right? So the, the philosophical life is a life 
that doesn't just try to like hold on to wine and try to rest in wine, but it's the one who always wants to move beyond it, move something more, something greater uh, than than what I what I have. I want beauty itself, right? That's what the philosopher um, is seeking. Um, so with that, um, we will, um, which is actually, this is, I'll just, we'll end with this quote. This is how the book five ends <clears throat> with this quotation from Socrates. So those who in each case are passionately devoted to the thing itself are the ones we must call not philodoxers, uh, like lovers of, of belief, but philosophers, right? So the one who loves the thing itself, uh, which, uh, I think within this context, that means like the model. That's the, that's that towards which um, my unease is is directed, even if I don't know what that is. And that's what it means to love it. It's to say I don't understand it, but I want to. Right? It's a type of desire. Um, that type of person, the person who's passionately devoted to that type of um, life, is the one who is a philosopher, <coughs> and then uh, thereby consequential. Consequently, will be the one who is capable uh, of um, ruling justly or uniting the many.